it's safe to say one of the themes of literature, movies, over and over and over is a theme of overcoming, right? Overcome nature, you know, man versus himself versus nature, all of the different things we learn in literature, but we really do like the idea of overcoming, of winning, right? I mean, we're, we're going to watch a football game later, and I'm assuming people aren't there just to, you know, have fun. They want to win. You know, how many of us, you know, we, we, they've kind of had this movement in, in youth sports of not keeping score, you know. We're just there to have fun. We all know that's bogus. We know it. Because we know even the kids are like, who's winning? Who's winning? We love the idea of winning, of overcoming. And, of course, the greatest story ever told about winning, of course, is Jesus Christ overcoming death. We, we just, this idea of overcoming something is hardwired into us. And when I say hardwired, I mean you go all the way back to the creation account. And what does he say? He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and what? Subdue it. What is he saying? Go win. Go conquer the world. Go subdue. Go make things work in this world according to your will. There is something hardwired from creation in us to overcome obstacles. And we love it. Who in here could give a testimony of, oh yeah, man, I remember overcoming this one time. And it just, it still excites you to talk about it. Like you won. You know, even if it was sports or maybe it was a personal struggle or even a family struggle that, hey, we, it was a dark time, but we overcame and we made it. You know, those are the stories that kind of keep us going. And so John, he understands this. And he wants us to see the bigger picture of what our faith is about, that it really is in many ways about overcoming the world. Do you know that you are in a war? You know what the good news of that war is? It's already won. And if you have a faith in Jesus Christ, you have already won. You have overcome the world. Now, we may look outside right now and we go, it doesn't feel like it. Doesn't look like it. I'm not sure about this at the moment, but you know, the disciples could have said the very same thing the night before the resurrection. Doesn't look like it, doesn't feel like it, and yet just a few hours later, everything was going to change. And that's something that John wants us to to really internalize, to really grab hold of and make as as a foundation for our lives is the fact that we have overcome And so look with me in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, going through verse 5, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God, here it is, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Notice he didn't give a nine-step plan for overcoming the world here. He didn't say, do this and you'll overcome the world. He says, if you believe in Jesus, you've already overcome the world. He says, our faith, our very faith is the evidence that we've overcome the world. Our faith is all we need to overcome the world. Which leads us to a really central, important, foundational, don't forget this, keep it in your mind all the time point about Christianity is that we must be born again. Now, don't forget, this is the central point. One day we're going to face judgment. And what did John already say last week? He says that we would have confidence on the day of judgment. Now, why are we going to be confident? Because we have been born again. We're not going to bring anything to the table on judgment day other than Jesus died for me. If we start on judgment day with anything that says anything like, well, I tried to be a good person, you're in trouble. I'm in trouble. If that's anything that we have, we're missing the point. And John tells us straight out in 5.1, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now, there's the whole you know, thing in logic that if you know, this is true, then the reverse, the inverse must also be true. And so if everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, then we can safely say that everyone who does not believe that Jesus is the Christ has not been born of God. Which means he is pointing us to the exclusivity of Christ, okay? That there is salvation in nobody else, in no other place, in no other way other than faith in Jesus Christ. There is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. Now, I say that because we live in a day and age where even recently in Southern Baptist life, there was a poll conducted and up to 20 to 30 percent of pastors said they believed that there was another way into heaven other than faith in Jesus. We are living in a day of apostasy. So I am telling you today, by the truth of Scripture, there is no other way to know God and be born again other than faith in Jesus Christ. That is the truth. And so, it is only by faith, and it is all that will matter on the day of judgment. Being born of God means believing in the life, death, resurrection, and return of Jesus Christ. And you know, the Bible spends considerable time emphasizing this one fact. You know why? Because it's the most important thing. When you have the most important thing in life, you spend more time on it, right? You major on the major and you minor on the minor. Well, the major of all of Scripture, all of Scripture, Jesus said the Scriptures, they testify to me, meaning the entire Old Testament. It says that all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So he is the central figure and the main point of every Scripture that has been written. He is the point. And so... Listen to some of these verses in Acts 4, 10 through 12. The Holy Spirit has come down. The day of Pentecost has happened. Peter is preaching and he says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, 
whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter believed in the exclusivity of Christ. He just said it. There is no other name given under heaven. There is only Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John 3, 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We must be born again. We must be saved. This is not a matter of just trying to follow the example of Jesus. It is not a matter of just trying to be a good person or a moral person. This says we have to be spiritually transformed in a rebirth that can only happen through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you do not know that you are born again, then you are in danger of hell. Now, God has given us everything he's going to give us. He has given us his son. He has given us the scriptures. He has given us his spirit. He has given us the church. He has given us everything he is going to give us. It is now up to us to believe what he has said. And what did he say in John 14, 6? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, friends, that is a bold claim. If I stood up here and said, you couldn't hear from God from anybody but me, you would all say, well, that was rather arrogant. And rightfully so, because I'm not the son of God. But Jesus, as John has said, was both the Christ and the son of God. He was both human and divine. And when he makes a claim like that, he is telling you this is ultimate reality. Whether or not we agree with it does not matter. He is telling us a fact of judgment that says only through him will you know the Father. You want to know God? You've got to go through Jesus. You want to know God's love? You've got to go through Jesus. And it doesn't matter how religious we are if we don't know Jesus. When I was at the gym this week, I was listening to uh, some music, and this uh, one song started out with a preacher uh, talking. I don't know who it was, so I can't give credit, but I'm letting you know I did not think of this. Uh, but he said, you know, you could, you could live in the church. You could come to the church every single day. You could have your meals prepared at the church. You could have all of your work at the church. You could be propped up at the church. You could put a room at the church and go to sleep. But if you don't have Jesus, you could sleep at the church and wake up in hell. It's not about us. It's about what he has done for us. And John is telling us that when he says... Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. He's letting us know this is the central thing that is most important, that we believe in Jesus Christ. And when we do, 
Something happens that is beyond us, that is beyond our control, that is beyond our ability. We are born of God. We are born again. And this is important because it can be missed. People can think they are in a good relationship with God and that they know him and that they have somehow piled up the good works and that somehow God's going to recognize those good works on judgment day. And we get in mind that somehow just so long as the balance is, you know, in the good works favor, that God is going to to recognize that and reward us with heaven for it. And Jesus warned against this very thing in seven, Matthew 7, 21 and 23, when he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? See, they're saying, look at all the stuff we did. Look at what I did. Is that not enough? And you know what Jesus says? You're right. It's not enough. What you did is not enough. And he says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So not only is he not impressed with what they've done, he actually labels what they've done as lawlessness. Can you imagine standing before God thinking you've been a good person just to find out you're not? There's nothing more horrifying in Scripture than this moment. Than those people who believe they're good people. And then they find out that God labels them as lawless. And he tells them no. And he says, depart from me for I never knew you. He's not interested in our works. God doesn't need our works. God created the world in six days. He doesn't need our works. He spoke it into being in six days. He doesn't need our works. He wants our faith. And he has told us the object of our faith must be Jesus Christ. See, Jesus spent considerable time warning, calling, and explaining that eternal life, the God life, being born of God, is found only in him. And being reborn is not like being physically born. To be born again is to be remade by the Spirit of God through faith in Jesus alone. And there is no other way to gain this life. And so, this entire series that we've been in in 1 John is about embracing and leaning into the newness of life found only in salvation. But if you have not been born again, then it is impossible for you to know and experience everything we've been talking about. It's impossible. You cannot generate, you can't have good enough worship. Sorry, Paul, it's not an insult against you. But you cannot have good enough worship to generate what God will do in you in the Holy Spirit through birth, through rebirth. You cannot serve enough in the church to generate the work of God in your heart that happens at salvation. We must be born again. And if you want to know the love that God has for us when you are born again, then he says you will also love whoever has been born of him. 
we instantly enter into the community of faith and become a part of the body of Christ and we become connected in such a strong spiritual sense that we become family. And it says we will, we will love. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Notice he doesn't say you'll try. He doesn't say you'll do your best. He says you will. Because the Spirit of God will lead you to do as such. And if you want any benefit at all, any help from God, any freedom, anything, you must be born again. That is the start of all of it. And y'all may say, preacher, you're belaboring this point. I am. And you know why? Because you must be born again. And I don't want anybody to miss that. I have known deacons that were deacons, had been deacons for 30 years in churches that finally were like, you know what? I need to be born again. I've been serving in church my whole life and I don't know God. There was a man named Elias Keach in in Baptist history who got saved under his own preaching. In the pulpit. His father was a preacher. And so he had memorized sermon after sermon and he knew how to do it. And one day he wore a suit to a revival meeting. And so they just assumed he was the preacher. The preacher didn't show up. So they said, hey, why don't you do it? And he said, sure, I know sermons. My dad was a preacher. So he gets up and he starts preaching. People are getting saved. And as he continues to go, one day mid-sermon he stops and is like, this applies to me. And he stopped right there and accepted Christ in front of the entire church. You see, I'll belabor this because it's the only thing that's going to matter. When we stand in judgment, that's all God's going to ask. That's all that's going to matter. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Have you been born again, yes or no? If the answer is yes, enter into your reward. If the answer is no, depart, for you never knew me. That's it. That's all that will matter. And so, George Whitfield, the uh, famous American uh, revivalist and preacher, uh, his preaching was so gospel-focused that one time a woman asked him, why do you preach so much on you must be born again? To which he replied, anybody want to guess? Because, madam, you must be born again. That was the response. <laughs> You see, we have to make sure we are building on the proper foundation. Because when we do that, then we can obey God. It's only when we're born again that we can then enter into the life that God has for us and become the worshiper and the student of Scripture and prayer and the servant witness and the disciple maker that He wants us to be. But it's only when we're born again that these things can even happen. In the way that he wants. And when we enter into that. We find out that obedience brings life and peace. Once we are born again. Walking with Jesus. Walking in obedience to God. Whatever it is he asks us to do. And he will ask you to do scary stuff. But when we walk with him in obedience. We find that we have life and peace within us. And and to understand this, we have to look at the commandments and the heart of the one giving the commandment. 
How many times have you ever looked at the commandments of God and the things that he tells us to do and really looked behind it and said, you know, what does this tell me about God himself? That he's telling me to do this. You know, you can find out if a person really cares about you a lot of times by, you know, what they kind of try to lead you into in life. I've had people say they wanted to mentor me before, and it became very clear that their idea of mentorship had nothing to do with my well-being and everything to do with what they wanted. It became very clear what they really cared about. When we look at the commandments of God, what does it reveal to us? It reveals a God of love, of life, of hope, a God of second chances, a God of redemption. A God who values life and peace and justice. And so, if we look at the end goal of what he says, listen to 1 John 5, 2, and 3. It says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Interesting. Does it feel like he's talking in a circle? Well, he is because that's how the life of God works. It's self-feeding. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Now this tells us so much about God. And it reveals exactly what it is he wants. One, the love of God and the love of neighbor are so intertwined that to obey God is to love the children of God. Notice he says, you know, if you you are born again, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're born of God, you'll love those who are also born of him. And then he turns around and says, and how do you know you're loving them? By loving and obeying God. Because if you do what God tells you to do, what does he tell you to do? Love your neighbor. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So if you're loving God, you're going to be loving people. And you cannot separate them. They are not two commandments, they're one. One is an inner orientation, my love for God. And one is the outward expression of that inner orientation. If I love God, I'll show it by loving people. My goal, my my desire in life will be to show love to people. And so John made this easy for us. Just do what God tells you to do and you'll know that you're loving your neighbor. Because to obey God means to love others. You, You can't, if you're not loving others, you're disobeying God. And so John made this really easy. He says, you want to know how you're loving other people? Just do what God tells you to do. Just follow his commandments. And we can even go to the Ten Commandments and think about it. Can I love my neighbor if I'm stealing from him? Nope. Can I love my neighbor if I'm coveting their possessions? Nope. Can I love my neighbor if I'm bearing false witness against them? Nope. See, it gets pretty simple. Just do what he tells you to do. Love of neighbor becomes a lifestyle through obedience to God. Two, God's commandments, his very commandments, are an expression of God's love for us. Have you ever thought about it that way? The commandments that God gives are an expression of his love for us. See, we always think about God's commandments if he's the boss and he's telling me what to do and I have to do it. But we don't really think about a lot of times those commandments reveal the heart of a father who loves his children deeply. 
Now, parents, you understand this. You know, and our, our better moments as parents, our commandments to our children are born out of love, concern, a desire to see them grow and develop and become the, the people that, that God wants them to be. Well, the heart of our Father is exactly the same. And when we study His commandments, we get a picture of the one giving the commands. Listen to what He says in verse 3 again. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. Now, there are two ways to look at this. That we're loving God and obeying His commandments or that the love of God is revealed through His commandments. The answer is yes. It's both. See, every command that God has given us, who benefits from it? Who benefits from obedience to the commands of God? We do. Does God benefit? Does He need? No, He doesn't need us. He doesn't need our obedience. He doesn't need, He's not, He's all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent. He has no need of anything. And so every command He gives is for our benefit. Literally for our benefit. And so every command he's given us is one that values life, it values health, it values relationships, it values reputation, values justice, values equality, values what is good in life. See, this is why the psalmist in Psalm 119 says, show me wonderful things in your law, God. Because when we start to really meditate on the commands of God, we start to get an image of God of who he really is and what he wants for us. And instead of them becoming burdensome of things that we have to do, they start to become these wonderful life-giving opportunities that, wow, God wants me to do this. And I know why he wants me to do it, because it's good. Because it brings life. Because he's concerned for me. And he's told me what I need to do to know him and to live a life of peace. And holiness. Isn't that amazing? And so he does. The third thing he tells us is that his commands are not burdensome. Listen to what he says. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. How many of you have ever been weighted down with some burdensome commands in your job? That you are, you're just like, this is ridiculous. This is red tape. This is pointless. This is busy work. But I have to do it. You know, we always think there's got to be an easier way to this. God's commands are not and should never feel like that. Now, I know some of you in here are saying it hasn't felt like that to me. I've worn myself out trying to obey God. Anybody in here can say that, that admit to it? I've worn myself out. You know what? You're following the wrong commands. Because God's true commands, what he wants us to do, brings life. It doesn't wear us out. It energizes us. It sustains us. And if we are getting worn out serving God, you know what, we're not serving God. We're serving something else that can't bring life, that has no power to give life. It can only take it. And so, 
Listen to this promise from Jesus. And, and, and really, this is a popular verse, and so it, it's easy for us to be like, okay, yeah, yeah, I know that one. Really listen to it, the words of a Savior who's going to give his life on the cross for us and be raised again so that we can be with him in heaven. This is his promise. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, Jesus said this in a culture where legalism was off the chart and every move you did was scrutinized and there was the, not only the law, but there was the tradition of the elders and there was all of this religious hypocrisy and legalistic requirement of you've got to earn God's love that was just pressed down on people and people were breaking and cracking under it. It's too much. Some of you know what I'm talking about because inside you're just crying out and you're just like, I will never be good enough for God. And you know what? You don't have to be. Jesus was good enough for you. And that's what Jesus wanted people to see in his day and in ours is he says, look, I'm not going to wear you out. I'm not going to drain the life out of you and lead you down a life of guilt and a life of effort that doesn't return anything. I have a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. Yes, we have to obey, but they're not burdensome. It's not hard. It's not something that that we just have to drudge through every single day. I don't know anybody that genuinely obeys God that on the other side of it that is like, you know, I wish I hadn't done that. Every time we genuinely obey God, we find life on the other side of it. And we're like, wow, that was amazing. Why didn't I do that sooner? Right? How many of you have told yourself that? Why didn't I do that sooner? You know, we start reading the Bible for the first time and we're serious about it. We start reading, we're like, where was this 20 years ago? Why didn't we learn this? And yet we realize it's always been there. God has always been there. His ways, His commandments are life-giving. And so I want to tell you today, I'm serious about this. If your religious practices are wearing you out, and your energy is gone, and you, that's legalism. That's not Jesus. And maybe you need to be born again. Maybe you've just grown up in a religious environment, and you can say all the right things, but you're like, you know, I don't know. It's always been this way. Look, if it's always been that way, and it's always been a chore, and it's been hard, and there's been no real return as far as life and peace and joy and love, then you may need to be born again. Or maybe you got off track and you look back and you're like, you know, at one time it was that way. And this happens to a lot of well-meaning Christians. It was that way, but it's not now. You know what happened? So we stopped serving Jesus, we started serving religion. We started trying to be good enough. And you know what? None of us will ever be good enough. But here's the freedom is Jesus doesn't call us to be good enough. He calls us to follow in faith. And he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I will give you rest. 
that thing that's wearing you out, I will give you rest from that. But we have to give it to him. We have to follow in faith. And our focus has to be on Jesus and nothing else. And when we do that, we get to live in victory. Now, when I say live in victory, don't get worldly ideas in your head and and the stuff you see on so many TV preachers that living in victory means that you have health and wealth and all your wildest dreams have come true. That's not what I'm talking about. Listen to what John and how he describes it. 1 John 5, 4 through 5, he says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? It's that circle again. You see, the world is going to try to pull us in a direction. Can we agree? The world is always trying to pull us in one direction. Legalistic righteousness says, I can fight that pull myself. If I'm good enough, I can keep myself moving in the right direction and God will be happy with me. How many of you have ever tried to swim against a strong current? I remember one day I went out on a little paddle boat with with one of my best friends. And it was fine until some wind picked up. And it was just one of those stupid little paddle boats which you paddle with your feet. And we were fishing off of that. And we got pretty far out. And so we thought, we need, you know, it's time to head back. So we started going. And the wind picked up and was pushing against us. And all we could do, we were paddling as hard as we could. And you know what we were doing? We were staying in one spot. <laughs> That's all we could manage. Um, we wore ourselves out and we're just like, go, go, go. And because the wind was pushing us further out down the lake. And so we're trying and we are paddling as hard as we can. And we're, I'm looking at the shore and we're not moving. We're not losing ground, but we're not gaining any either. And we were a long way from where we wanted to be. And we stopped and I told him, I said, Troy, I, we may be in trouble. <laughs> if this wind doesn't die down, we may not make it home. We may have to park on the shore and walk. Fortunately, the wind did die down and we were able to get back. But that's what legalism does. Legalism will expend every bit of the strength that you have and you might, if you're lucky, just stand still. But John has promised us to overcome. He has said, Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Everyone. This isn't just for the spiritually advanced. This isn't just for those who are really, really faithful. He says the fact you believe in Jesus means you have broken free from that current and you've already overcome the world. Now just walk with God. You've already won. And John has already alluded to this in this letter. He kind of had to lay the groundwork earlier. In 1 John 4, 4, he said, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now notice, he said, you've overcome, but it's because of who is in you. 
It's not because of your effort. It's not because of your ability. It's not because of your talent. It's not because of how good a person you are or could be. It's none of that. It is the spirit of God in you that already has led you to overcome the world. The victory is already done. You see, Jesus said this very same thing in John 16, 33. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Now, this is important. In me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What he's saying, he says, in him, you will find peace in the midst of your worldly tribulations. And even then, those worldly tribulations will not be the end of the story. Jesus has overcome that. Where did he overcome it? In overcoming every temptation that was thrown in his way and at the resurrection. He has defeated everything that the world threw at him. And trust me, the world threw everything it had at him. Satan threw everything he had at Jesus to try to tempt him to sin and to rebel against his father. And Jesus won every single one. And I want you to understand this. Jesus faced everything. The book of Hebrews tells us that he was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. So that temptation that you struggle with, Jesus faced it and beat it. He faced it head on and defeated it. He has overcome the world. And the prince of the power of the air, the, one, the ruler of this world, Satan. He has overcome all of it. So, he faced temptations, he faced trials, he faced disappointments, he faced betrayals, he faced injustice, he faced hatred, he faced judgmental, self-righteous hypocrites, you name it, he faced it. And he overcame it, amen? He overcame it. And so that's why he says, you'll have peace in me. I know how to win. I've already won. And if you're with me, you're on the winning team. So all you got to do is just stay on the team. Just be on the team and you get it. You get the, you get the ring. <laughs> because he won the game. And so he told us, in this world you will have tribulation. Living in victory is not an absence of tribulation, it is peace through it. It is the knowledge that this tribulation is not the end of the story. Because, you know, if you don't have Jesus, it kind of is. Because this life, this is what a horrible thought. If you aren't in Jesus, this life is the best it will ever be. So it is the end of the story. Without Jesus Christ, you face the trials and tribulations of this world, and then you die and go to ultimate punishment. It only gets worse. So it is. These trials and tribulations are the end of the story. It's the best it will ever get. For the Christian, these trials and tribulations are the worst it will ever be. We live, we go through the trials and tribulations, we die, we go to heaven. Guess what? No more death, no more suffering, no more pain, no more sorrow. No more separation from God. New heaven, new earth, new body. It only gets better for all eternity. That is what it means to walk and live in victory. Is that that understanding of life 
filters into everything that we do. So that means we as Christians should be able to face disappointment better, not perfectly, but better than those who are unsaved. We should be able to face adversity with a strength and a hope that the world doesn't have. We should have peace, the peace that Jesus said, I, my peace I give you. We have that peace with us through everything that is living in victory. That is what it means to overcome the world. And so congratulations, Christians, you are all overcomers. You've already won. My only question now for you today is, are you walking in that victory? Do you live with that knowledge or are you allowing the world to beat you down and take your eyes off of that victory and steal your joy, steal your hope? It doesn't have to stay that way. Just put your eyes back on him and watch what he does. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. God, thank you for the victory that you have given us. God, we know it's not because of anything we have done. It's not because of who we are. It is completely what you have done for us. But God, we thank you that we get to be a part of this. It's the greatest privilege and the greatest blessing that we will ever know. God, we will sing your praises for what you have done for all of eternity. And and God, that's still not going to be long enough. God, we pray that you teach us how to walk in victory better. God, not for us, but for those around us, God, that we would be witnesses, that we would be lights in this world, that we would shine our light so that people would see our good deeds and glorify you, our Father in heaven. God, use us to share your love, to share the gospel with those around us. God, if there are any here right now who have not been born again, God, maybe they've been religious, maybe they've been around, maybe this is our first time to hear this. God, I pray if there are any who have not been born again, that they would call out to you now and just ask you to come into their lives. That they would confess you, Jesus, as Lord. Ask you to be Lord of their life and give themselves to you. God, we thank you that we have this opportunity to draw near to you together and near to each other, to fellowship together. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen.